right? Christianity, that's the end of it. All right. And, and the thing that I want us to see tonight as we come to this section of the creed and we're looking tonight is I believe in Jesus Christ. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. That I want you to see that it's the cross that is the center of that portion of the creed just as the cross is the center of the Bible. It's the center of the Christian message. It's the center of everything that we think about. And when you see that cross, you immediately think of Christ or Christianity. Even atheists do that. We know that by the fact that if, on any given day, anywhere or somewhere in our nation, you will find people going to court to sue about crosses being placed on the side of the road or something. Just a couple of weeks ago, there was a suit filed because crosses have been put up where state troopers had died in the line of duty. And, and the ACLU and the people for the American Way came in and they sued and they said, we don't want those crosses up there. They are offensive to us. Uh, they stand for something that we don't believe in. They stand for something that we don't want to be recognized. And so they fight in court to have those removed. And I'll be honest with you, I find it much more offensive that they fight to have those removed than that they fight to have the Ten Commandments removed. Because the cross is the center of the gospel. The cross is the center of everything we believe. The cross is our brand, if you will. And we have been branded by the cross if we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, the cross, it is everything to us. It is the center of our life. It's the center of our being. Because it was on that cross that so much was accomplished. Listen to the creed again, that one passage that we read, we read the whole thing tonight, but listen to the one that I want us to concentrate on tonight. Last week we looked at the first part of the paragraph that Jesus Christ was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and then tonight suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. It's, it's a very simple part of the creed. It's, it's really about five thoughts altogether that the writers of this creed, 2,000 years ago almost, uh, brought together, but they brought it together to symbolize the most significant event in the life of Christ, the most significant event in redemptive history. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 15, and I want you to see the, the roots of what the creed is saying here. I want you to see why it says suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. And beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15 of Mark's gospel, we see early in the morning the chief priest with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Now understand, the reason they did that is because under Roman occupation, the Jews had no authority to do anything other than, than to enact some kind of religious or ecclesiastical penalties. They had no right to imprison. They had no right to, uh, uh, to, to certainly not to execution. And so they took him to Pilate, delivered him to Pilate, who was the governor, who was the, the potentate, the, the representative of Caesar. Pilate questioned him and said, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is as you say. The chief priest began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, you, you, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he was used to release for, for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas 
had been imprisoned with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. And Pilate asked him, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd and asked him, him to release Barabbas for them instead. And answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with, with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, that is beaten, he handed him over to be crucified. Mark goes on to relate how Jesus mocked. And, and verses 16 through 21, and they dressed him up in purple, put the crown of thorns upon his head. And then the crucifixion. In verse 22, they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews... They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. It goes on, and, and down in verse 33, it says, when the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, behold, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran up and filled a sponge of sour, with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him, him a drink, saying, let, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We talked about that in our Hebrews study on Sunday morning when the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw that he breathed his last. He said... Truly, this man was the Son of God. Now that is the historical account. That is what took place in a historical setting. And, and Mark records it for us and other gospel writers record it for us. As a matter of fact, it is amazing that as you read the gospels, the, the disproportionate amount of time that each of the gospel writers spend on the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus lived on the earth for 33 years, give or take a little. His ministry was three to three and a half years long. And yet, in all of that time that he lived and that he ministered, most of the gospel writing takes place in the last week of his life, preparing his disciples for the crucifixion that is to come, the crucifixion that comes, and then the things that follow that crucifixion. This portion of the creed talks about that event, that crucifixion event. Later, the creed will talk about his resurrection, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. But tonight, we're focusing on the crucifixion, the burial, the death of Jesus and his suffering. It starts out by saying that he suffered. Isaiah had talked about the suffering servant that was to come in Isaiah 53. Isaiah wrote, Who has believed our message, and whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He was no stately form or majesty. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, by his suffering, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. There is the suffering that took place in that event. It's, it's, it's exactly what Mark described in what we read, although some of the other gospel writers go into far more detail. There was a suffering, there was a beating, there was a, a scourging that took place. He was taken, the man who was a sinless son of God, with no blemish, no sin, no reason to go through that, and he went through it. He suffered physically. We've seen it portrayed so many different ways. Movies throughout the years have portrayed the crucifixion, the death of Christ, and probably none more graphically, maybe too graphically for, for human consumption, The Passion of the Christ several years ago by Mel Gibson. I mean, the, the visibleness of his, his physical sufferings are horrendous. And we really can't even begin to understand them in a, in a clear sort of way. But I want you to understand that his suffering goes far beyond what he suffered physically. As bad as that was, as horrible and horrendous as that was, the physical suffering was nothing compared to his anguish and spiritual suffering that he suffered on that cross. Because here was the one who did not deserve to die, who, could, who, who, who should have lived without any death at all, taking, he who knew no sin at all, taking our sin upon him, bearing our sin upon his body, carrying our sin to the cross, and receiving on that cross what we should have received for ourselves. I mean, just think about that. He was bearing our punishment. He was bearing our transgressions and bearing the wrath of God that you and I should have been experiencing. That is suffering. That is suffering beyond human comprehension. That is suffering beyond anything that I can ever think about or even, even imagine. I, I like the way one of the hymns that we sing regularly talks about it. It says, Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. I mean, what a what an indescribable gift. What a 
What an unbelievable transaction and exchange that he who deserved, did not deserve death took death to set our sinful souls free. God who is just and who must deal with sin has not only remained just but has become the justifier of you and me, declaring us just, declaring us justified on the basis of what Christ did on the cross. The creed says he suffered, and suffered he did. It also goes on to say that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Well, Mark dealt with that. Luke deals with that. Matthew deals with that. John deals with that. Pontius Pilate, some people find it very strange that the creed would even include his name. I mean, to say that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate has somewhat the reputation, certainly no better, than, than an Adolf Hitler. I mean, when you, talk, when you think of Adolf Hitler, for most of us, the first thing that comes to mind is the Holocaust, the gassing of Jews, the attempt to exterminate an entire race. And when we hear that name Hitler, we immediately think of the evil and the horrors that that man did. Pilate suffers with the same problem. When you hear the name Pilate, the first thing that Pontius Pilate, the first thing that comes to mind is he is the one who condemned Christ to death. Now one of the gospel writers says that he, he took a pail of water and he washed his hands and said, My hands are free of this innocent blood, go off and crucify him. And that was probably the most foolish and most useless act of all of history. Jesus' blood was on his hands. Because he's the one who, if you will, signed the death warrant. Sign the certificate. So why in the world would the writers of the creed place Pontius Pilate right in the middle of talking about the sacrifice of Christ? Well, it sets it in its historical circumstances. There's no way that it could be said, well, this is just a myth. This is just a story. This is just some kind of religious hoodoo. No, this is setting it in its historical place under the reign of Pontius Pilate, while he was ruling over Jerusalem, this is when Christ suffered. Under that one who was acting on behalf of the Roman government. He was the authority. He was the law. He suffered under Pontius Pilate historically. Then it says he was crucified. He was crucified. Suffered and crucified. And, and crucifixion is the most agonizing, humiliating, and embarrassing form of death that one can imagine. The cross, which we boldly display in front of our sanctuary, which we think about being a, 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 a brand or a logo or a symbol of Christianity that is really foisted upon Christianity, most, of those, most people believe, most historians believe, that the church did not necessarily voluntarily take the cross as their symbol, but that it was foisted upon them by their enemies. There are enemies of the cross. Paul talks about that in, in uh, Philippians chapter 3 when he says, you know, there are enemies of the cross whose gods are their appetite, who only look out for themselves. 
And, and many believe historically that the cross was kind of foisted upon Christians as a, as a mocking, as a way of saying, oh, you Christians, here's what you got. Here's what your leader got. Here's what your great teacher got. Here's what your prophet got. He got a cross saying, and the same is awaiting you if you continue to follow this man. But yet the cross quickly became embraced by those. It may have been meant to be a, a sign of weakness because certainly uh, it's not a sign of a powerful God in the eyes of the world who would hang upon a cross. Indeed, Paul said that to the, to the Jews, the cross is what? A stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it's a, it's a stumbling, uh, uh, it's, a, it's an offense. I, I mean, the idea that, that this cross would bring power, this cross would be a symbol for power and authority and goodness is something that the world could not understand. Paul kind of expressed that when he wrote the Corinthian Christians. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he, he started talking to them about his coming. We know that that church was filled with problems and needed an apostolic hand to come and kind of direct them somewhat. And this is how he expressed it. Just listen to this. He said, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or with wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You see, the crucifixion was intended by the enemies of Christ to be humiliating agonizing, embarrassing. But in the final analysis, it became the symbol of the power of Christ, especially after the resurrection. He was suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified and he died. Crucified, dead is literally what the creed says. He was crucified, dead. His death was real. Some will say today and, and come up with some strange theories of what really happened on that day, and they'll say, well, he swooned away. He didn't really die. He just kind of appeared to be dead, and they took him down, and in the cool of the tomb, he, he kind of resuscitated, you know, without any medical care, without any real uh, attention given to him at all for three days, and just kind of on his own, he just resuscitated. no. As the creed states and as scripture makes clear, he died. It's a necessary death. Because apart from his death, there could be no atonement. Except for his death, there could be no propitiation of sin. Except through his death, there could be no salvation. He had to die. And the creed says that he suffered, he was crucified, dead. And then the fifth thing it says about this event is that he was buried. 
he was buried, there was a verification of his death. There was a, a verification of the fact that when they took him down from the cross, there was no pulse, there was no heartbeat, there was no breathing, there was no life. He was a corpse. And he had died. And they put him in a tomb and they rolled the stone against the opening. And the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities and all the world watching just knew without a doubt that it was over. That, that they had fulfilled what they wanted to fulfill. That this man had been accused of rabble-rousing and been accused of stirring up the masses against the government was now silenced forever. Forever. And no longer would he give them any problem. No longer would there be any trouble from him because they not only saw him crucified, they not only saw him die on that cross, but they buried him and sealed that tomb in order to show the world it was finished. They even heard him say that. They even heard him on the cross say, it is finished. And thinking that they were thinking the same thing he was thinking when he said it is finished, they assumed that he just gave up. But what he meant with those words, it is finished, is that redemption had been accomplished. Salvation was now a reality. A relationship with God that had been broken by sin and by disobedience and by an inability to, to, to uh, obey the law, the moral law of God. All of that had now been compensated for, not by man, but by God himself. When the creed talks about suffering under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. There is a finality there. There is a, there is a determination there. There is a, a completeness there that you cannot miss. Next week, we're going to talk about he descended into hell. No, we won't do that next week. Next week is Labor Day weekend, so we'll do it the next week. But we'll talk about descended into hell and most people, when they hear that, they go, ah. Well, don't go, ah, yet. Till we talk about what it really means. But the point is, in his crucifixion, in his sufferings, even as, as Isaiah said, and as the gospel writers affirm, and as Paul affirms in his coming to the Corinthians, that he comes in the power of the cross. Not with human wisdom, not with human cleverness, but in the power of the cross. I love the way, and we'll close with this, I love the way Paul puts it in the latter part of 1 Corinthians in 15, chapter 15. Turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 15. Hear these words. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I deliver to you, listen to this, very important. For I deliver to you as of first importance that which I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. First importance, priority. More important than anything else, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The scriptures he's talking about there is Isaiah and the prophets and the psalmist and the law. According to the scriptures. Verse 4. And that he, that is Christ, was buried. He died. And the thing you do with a dead person is you bury them. And he was buried as a verification of that death. And then as we'll see in a couple of weeks that he was raised on the third day. Again, notice that phrase, according to the scriptures. This is not something new. This is not something surprising or something shocking. This is what God has been saying through the generation after generation after generation. This is what it's all about. This is the heart of the gospel. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain now, but some have fallen asleep, some have died. And he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me, and that was on the Damascus road. Paul said, listen, in verse 14, well, we'll deal with that next time. We'll get with that later. But the point is, Paul's priority was preaching the cross. We ended those logos on the, on the screen with the cross. I want you to know tonight, we must realize there are enemies of the cross today and we must stand firm for the cross. Not so much wearing it as a necklace or a lapel pin or cufflinks or, or, or some kind of jewelry. But we must stand firm for the cross in our life. That that is the center of what we believe. That is the center of our life. That is the center of our power. For apart from the cross, we know no power. Apart from the cross, we have no wisdom. Wisdom of the world sees the cross as foolishness. But we who are in Christ see the cross as the wisdom of God, the power of God. To give us life, to sustain our life and protect us throughout all of life. Jesus, I believe in Jesus Christ, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. Five things. He suffered under Pilate, crucified, dead, buried. All of that so that we might live. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you tonight for the cross. We are grateful to you tonight, Lord, for the suffering that Christ went through that we might live.
Father, apart from the cross, there is no Christianity. Apart from the cross, there is no life. Apart from the cross, there is no forgiveness of sin. Apart from the cross, there is no redemption. There is no salvation. There is no propitiation. There, there is no reconciliation. Apart from the cross, we would still be wallowing in our sins. But because of the cross, we have been set free. Because of the cross and the death of Christ, we can now know you and walk with you in newness of life. And Father, for that we are grateful. Blessed and holy name of Jesus Christ, our living Lord. Amen.